Welcome to Bitverse Byte, a weekly podcast about the web industry, tools and techniques upcoming and in use today. My name is Adam Listek, a web developer from Northern California and Central Illinois. Let's get into some news. So, Chrome 66 was released. There are a number of changes. On the user-facing side, Chrome now defaults to not autoplaying content. So if you're a big fan of not having audio blasting at you uh, when you randomly visit a site, then this is a great thing. The exception is that if a user does click somewhere or anywhere on the page, content will then start to play. Additionally, the first round of semantic SSL certs are being distrusted. And this is for certs that are older than June 1st, 2016. And at some point later today, or not later today, but later this year, all semantic certs will be distrusted. Not sure how that's going to affect sites really, but hopefully at this point, most of the major ones and smaller ones have moved off, but I haven't seen any current statistics on it, but it will be interesting to see when that finally goes through what the uh, result will look like. On the plus side, it is probably forcing a lot of people to look at what their site is configured as and you know hopefully get things updated. On the developer side, there's now a CSS typed object model. So this means that previously all CSS properties that JavaScript would interact with in Chrome would come across as strings. Therefore, you kind of had to convert the string 10, for example, to a number 10 first in JavaScript before you used it. Now the CSS properties come over as a specified type, i.e. a 10 is a number, and you don't need to do this conversion. It's really laying the groundwork, I think, for a lot of other things, but it's an important thing to move that extra step out of the way where it's just right for introducing incompatibilities or type conversion errors. So it's a good thing. They've also added an asynchronous clipboard API so that when you're copying and pasting large amounts of content, it won't block the page. And this also integrates with the permission API to ask for permission to do these operations in browser. And it's just just overall refinement and uh, user experience is a little better. The redesigned Gmail was released. So the update to Gmail has officially been sent out. Um, Not everyone is getting it immediately. You can opt into it, but it doesn't seem like there's restricting who can do that very much. It's very similar to what the screenshots and information coming out had been, so that's a good thing. It doesn't drastically overhaul the interface, but it makes a lot of what I think are smart changes. Porting over most of the functionality from, say, Google Inbox in terms of snoozing or some artificial intelligence thing with smart replies makes a lot of sense. I personally still do prefer Google Inbox for its grouping and uh, ability, so I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of that ends up over in um, Gmail at some point. The only feature that they talked about that doesn't hasn't quite made it in yet is the uh, private expiring messages, uh, but at some point soon. And speaking of Google Inbox, it has been confirmed that as of the moment, it won't be killed off anytime soon. Google appears to be basically using it as a testbed for new technologies and that may eventually make their way to Gmail itself. And this does mark the release of Google Tasks. Now, it it is kind of a redesigned effort from the original Google uh, to-do list or tasks that hasn't seen much love in the recent years. 
I haven't used it much yet, but it appears to be fine. I like that it can do subtasks and that kind of thing. It's fairly basic, but I'm curious to see how it fits in with Google Keep and Reminders, as I use both of those pretty extensively. One interesting uh, design criticism of the products I've seen out there is that not all the design is completely coherent, which honestly I would have expected by this point in time, but one thing that is being said is the inconsistent font choices. They were using what's known as product sans for the heading fonts, and this is like the same Google logo font is specific to them, and they're using that for some of the headings, and then Roboto for the body, and they just don't appear to work too well together, or it's as fluid as it should be. Um, I haven't dived too far into it, but it's curious that that wasn't one of the things they nailed was the topography of it. Ubuntu 18.04 was released. So this is another LTS or long-term support release. And this was uh, released on 4.26. And it's a big one with a lot of changes. Uh, there's a lot on the desktop side, but I more wanted to cover what's on the server side of changes. So if up down has been deprecated in favor of netplan.io. So what this really means is if you have scripts that are relying on if up or if down, you will need to change these to use what's the IP command instead. And it's like IP link set device up or down. And the network configuration itself is uh, now handled by systemd networkd. Um, and the resolver is managed by systemd resolverd. So just keep this in mind if it's mostly applicable, as it's mostly applicable to new installs, um, as if you just upgrade, it will come across. But it does make a uh, change if you're not used to working with that new netplan.io or you have a bunch of scripts that are using that older functionality. Another big change that might impact you is that instead of a swap partition, it will now be a swap file. I personally think this simplifies the configuration, but I could see that without proper planning, how this could overrun space. Uh, this is how Windows does it. Um, and if uh, you're used to working in that world, then... It won't be a huge change, but it is different than traditionally you would set up a Linux uh, server or desktop. If you're running an NTP server, Crony is now used, but uh, it's just for simple NTP client services. It does still use a systemd timesyncd, and it's uh, just a simple way of doing that. Um, I don't run an NTP server too often, so I'm not sure the changes, but something to keep in mind. LXD 3.0 has been released with this, and uh, LXD is different from Docker because it's not, it's more of a virtualization of a whole OS instead of focusing more on just the application type virtualization. And even in fact, you can use Docker on top of a virtualized LXD uh, setup um, for some extra protection. For packages, and Nginx 1.14. Uh, PHP 7.2x and Apache 2.4.29 with uh, HTTP2 support. It's all been released, so it keeps everything updated. I think that's great news. It saves me personally from having to kind of move around with different things and try to shoehorn some of the newer releases into an older distribution. Moving on to some links and resources, uh, Cloudflare and Terraform. Um, there's a great article on the Cloudflare blog about using Terraform, which I didn't know a ton about, to actually configure your Cloudflare configurations. 
and it's for doing a versioned um, config that you can very easily apply changes or roll back changes. I, I, I look forward to trying it out. It looks perfect for what I need. There's a little CSS trick about on CSSTricks.com about keeping images pixelated as they scale. So if you have an image that is meant to be pixelated, you know, that kind of pixel art or something, uh, there is this CSS property called image-rendering. And depending on what browser and what, you know, some of its prefixed, then you can use this to kind of keep it crisp and sharp as you scale up. You know, it may not be used terribly often, but when you need it, very useful. And finally, uh, for a testing framework with PHP, something called Codeception, uh, and it's good for using unit functional and browser testing all together. I, I started playing with this a little bit. It just looks very simple to write and to use. Definitely something to check out. So I finally wanted to touch on a topic that I talked about, uh, I believe, two episodes ago or so, uh, but I want to touch base on it a little bit more again, and I'm sure it won't be the last time, but um, the GDPR, and it's the General Data Protection Regulations. So I want to talk about this again because it's getting closer to the May 28th deadline, and really to talk about how it can affect uh, United States small businesses. It is an EU regulation, but the global reach of it means that everyone has to be aware and to know how it might affect them. And I really do view this as a herald of things to come in terms of the general trend of the industry and desire to have a better privacy regulation and framework in place. So this is only going in that direction, and if you're trying to get there before that comes into play, then you'll be ahead of the game and that much better off. So keep in mind that it's still very unknown in practice how this will legally affect businesses in the U.S., but you want to be prudent and start working towards compliance. Here are some things to think about. As I see it right now, and I'm still researching, some of the key takeaways for your website would be kind of the following. Looking at marketing, and this is to say like Google Analytics and tags and the kind of information that's gathered. For the majority of cases, you might not, if you have not done much customization and you aren't storing specifically identifying information within your account, not too many changes will be needed. There are changes that are being done and you might have received notices and emails from Google with the analytics platform. And this goes into far greater depth about the changes they're doing, what's required of you. But the key is that as long as you're not storing information that is extra information that's really identifying who someone is over a series of sessions, it's really anonymizing the content, then you probably won't have to worry about this too much. One of the number one things that I think is going to come up for a lot of small business sites is forms. So almost every site I know has a form to con you know collect at least a contact us form. And it's going to uh, collect some information, almost always, such as name and email or phone number. And for this, you really just need to add a checkbox that gets consent from the person submitting the information that they agree that you collect and store that. Now, this ties into the next part of this, which is 
If somebody makes a write to be forgotten or asks to get a hold of their data for the data portability, then you do need to be able to have some you know, means of removing that information from your system. If it's a form and it's stored, you know, saved information on your uh, site, then you can delete it. Um, if they just need it, maybe you can give them a CSV export of whatever it is. For a lot of small businesses, this is the extent of the information being collected, so you could give them that, and that would be enough. Um, but this does all kind of finally go into the policies aspect, where you really do need an actual privacy policy for your website. And this outlines what information is being collected, where it's being used, and this will help to tie it all together and make it a little easier. So this GDPR is different than an upcoming but not yet um, finalized draft for something called the EU ePrivacy Regulation. It is expected later in 2018. And one aspect of this is a replacement for the older EU ePrivacy Directive. And this is most visible in respect to what you might have seen over time where these cookie pop-up prompts and it would say, hey, do you consent to using, to allowing us to track you via cookies and all that kind of stuff? And I'm still working through what this all will be, and it is still in flux, but in respect to cookies, it does look like the common marketing cookies and items such as e-commerce shopping type cookies, like saving what you have there, will be fine for use without needing a customer-facing pop-up like it used to. But this all will go hand-in-hand -hand with the privacy policy and the GDPR and it does look like it will simplify some of the cookie handling. But that being said, there's a lot left to learn. It's not finalized, and it may impact in totally different ways, and this is only one portion of it. So there is still a lot to learn regarding this and how it affects everything, but it would be wise for companies large and small and those around the world to really pay attention to see how they can use better and more informed privacy practices to protect their customers and users. And this will make sure that you are better prepared for any future regulations and pushes to this direction. So finally, follow this podcast on Twitter at BitVBite and Facebook at slash BitVBite. Thank you very much for listening and please join us next week.